Pride Month is a time to celebrate the identities that make up our amazing and diverse community. It's also a time to reflect on and honor the powerful contributions of those who've come before us. We stand on the shoulders of giants. Audre Lorde, Edie Windsor, Bayard Rustin, Sylvia Rivera, and Marsha P. Johnson, to them and countless other trailblazers, we are humbly indebted and forever grateful. If you'd like more information on the movement or recommendations on how you can help, go to blacklivesmatter.com partners. In these dark and difficult times, we hope that this episode brings you a little bit of joy and light. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 244 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Coming up this week, we're joined by author Alex Sanchez and illustrator Jewel Moreau to talk about their new DC Comics collaboration, You Brought Me the Ocean. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. A big thanks to William and Deb for joining us. We'll have more information on how you can join the community at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, readers. We are so glad that you could join us, and we hope that you've been enjoying our Pride Month bonus episodes. We've got lots of great bonus episodes coming up this week, Tuesday through Friday, and you can find them all at BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash Pride 2020. You're not going to want to miss it. Also, just a quick note, Zoe and Kelsey over at the Tea and Strumpets podcast are celebrating Pride Month as well, and they're going to be focusing on Regency romances. So if that is your thing, be sure to check them out. Last week, episode 38, they discussed The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite. And coming up later this month, they'll be talking to Olivia and Kat Sebastian. Plus, they'll be talking about Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure by Courtney Milan. They have brand new episodes every Thursday. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts or at romancepod.com. We're excited to tell you about a brand new partnership that we've got with Libro.fm. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, which is so incredibly important these days where bookstores have been closed in many cases for a couple of months now. You could choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and many, many books that are in the MM Romance category as well. There's recommendations from booksellers around the country because they've got 1,200 partner bookstores. And you'll even find playlists from us that you could find links to on our show notes page. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as that large audiobook company that you know about. But in this case, you'll be part of a much different story and one that can support your local community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. Listeners of the Big Gay Fiction podcast can also get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one to get you started. All you need to do is go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Big Gay Fiction. You can also click the link directly from the show notes page. With each audiobook you listen to, you can take pride in knowing that you're supporting your local bookstore. And in fact, we're supporting Capital Books right here in our home base of Sacramento. We've also got a Pride playlist up on Libro.fm right now that features many of the authors and narrators who are on the podcast this month as part of our Pride Month celebration. And we'll have a link to that for you in the show notes as well. We hope you'll join us supporting local bookstores by checking out Libro.fm. Hi. 
from Jay from the LGBTQ Romance Review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review ebooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully Jay is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully J is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully J, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyj.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. So before we review books, we want to quickly talk about some things that we have been watching on TV. First up, I'd like to shout out PBS Voice's presentation of Prideland. This is hosted by Dylan Burnside, who plays Ricky on Pose, and it focuses on LGBTQ plus identity in the South. Dylan grew up in Pensacola, Florida, but didn't really get to embrace his full, true self until he moved away from home into the big city. This series is chronicling a return for him back home as he explores LGBTQ plus identity in the South and what it means to live in that area of the country. I was particularly interested in episode one, which not only chronicled his story, which includes growing up very much in a religious family, and he was even ministering for several years before he left home and very involved in his church. Now that he's back, he's actually exploring what it's like to be back home, and he took a trip to Alabama where he actually met with Cameron D. Anderson, who is the Human Rights Commission's Alabama State Director. She is the first transgender woman of color to hold such a leadership position. I can't even imagine what it's like to hold this kind of role in the South as a trans person and a person of color. Her story was just amazing and so powerful. The second episode of this series focuses on Rob Lowry, who is an openly gay minister in a small mainstream church in Jackson, Mississippi. There's going to be new episodes each Tuesday through June on the PBS Voices YouTube channel, as well as a companion special that'll be airing across the country on PBS, and that's coming up this Friday, June 12th on most of the stations. I will certainly be coming back to this to watch these additional episodes. Each one's less than 10 minutes, and it's a fascinating look at what it means to be queer in the South, which since I lived for a number of years in Alabama, uh, while I know it's changed a lot, it's interesting to see what the climate is like there right now. So I highly recommend PBS Voice's presentation of Prideland. Jeff and I have also been enjoying some feel-good television. We dove back into Ryan Murphy's series Hollywood on Netflix. Our second go-around was just as enjoyable as the first. You've heard about us rave about it in the past. It's still amazing, and if you haven't checked it out, we highly recommend that you do. We also want to recommend an episode of a show called Melange. Now, essentially, it's a pilot episode for the Logo Network. It's on their streaming platforms and YouTube. And the show introduces a wide array of characters. And it's about their lives and their loves and their home away from home, a bar called Melange. Things are turned upside down when the owner of the bar suddenly passes away. And we learn that the owner actually was married at one time to none other than Morgan Fairchild. 
Of course, when she rolls into town, you know trouble is going to follow. Mm-hmm. It's a really wonderful pilot episode. I really enjoyed it because we don't get this kind of soap opera anymore. And plus, it just made me feel good to see this sort of queer representation from queer creators making its way onto screens. Just makes me happy. Yeah, I really enjoyed this, too. I like the soapiness of it. I like that Morgan Fairchild is... She's playing a role she does so, so well. Uh, it was really a delight, and hopefully it'll actually make it to series. We also want to recommend a movie that premiered on Netflix not too long ago. It's called The Half of It. And this is essentially a YA spin on the Cyrano story. It takes place in a small town, kind of in the middle of nowhere, where an awkward young teen somehow finds herself tasked with writing romantic, thought-provoking tweets for a guy to the girl both of them are very much interested in. It's a really interesting modern twist on the story, and the three leads are charming and really terrific. I enjoyed this movie a whole lot. The The twist on Cyrano was spot on and very modern. There is so much heart and so much humor in this story. The characters are so well fleshed out. The story was... As you said, it, it, it was a feel-good YA spin on this. I can't recommend it highly enough if you're looking for a pure escape and some Pride Month joy. And speaking of some Pride Month joy, I want to talk about the DC Comics graphic novel that's coming out this week called You Brought Me the Ocean, which is written by YA author Alex Sanchez and illustrated beautifully by Jill Moreau. This is essentially a coming-of-age coming out story for the young man who will become Aqualad. We find Jake, who is living in the middle of Truth or Consequences, Mexico. And if there ever was a properly named town for this story, this really is it. Jake has a lot of secrets. He's gay, and he hasn't really shared that with anybody. He wants to go to college in Miami because he feels this draw to get near the ocean and to study oceanography, despite the fact that he's living in the middle of the desert. And he hasn't been able to tell his best friend, Maria, that this is what he wants instead of going to school with her closer to home. He also has secrets kept from him about who his father is and why he's got markings all over his body that glow when they get wet. Now, to complicate his life, Maria has this big crush on him. They've been best friends forever. And this is a classic best friends sort of one feels a certain way for the other, but the other one doesn't really want to take it out of the friend zone. Jake, of course, has his reasons here, but she's missed all of the clues that are out there that he might be gay. And where he just views it as friendship, she's crushing on him really hard. Jake, meanwhile, has his eye on Kenny, who's a good-looking swimmer. He's smart, he's out, he's very outspoken, and in an interesting twist, he is a jock who is bullied. All of these secrets weigh really hard on Jake as he tries to figure out how to kind of move forward. And Jake and Kenny end up running into each other after school one day, which gets Jake all freaked out and flustered and everything. And he actually asks Kenny out for a hike because that's what one does in Tooth or Consequences, New Mexico. You go on hikes. It, it's also a hike that he hides from Maria. He flat out lies to her about what he's doing in that afternoon. And these boys end up on their hike learning a lot about each other, and Jake even eventually shares his markings and that they glow. It's the first time he's really shared this with anybody. And when a freak storm comes up, they get caught up in a flash flood in this canyon. It's such a perfect 
romance blocker <laughs> this flood because they're just about to kiss when the flood comes swooshing in. It's the first time that Jake has understood that he's got power over water because he actually saves them from being washed away. Kenny, to his credit, doesn't freak out too much about this, as you might think one would. But from here, the story really takes off as Jake has to come to terms with the secrets that he's keeping, make some adult decisions on what he wants to do with his life. Kenny's bullying situation gets a wrap up and sparks fly between the two friends over why so many secrets have been kept for so long. This is really a beautiful coming of age, coming out story with the romance between Jake and Kenny is so super sweet as Jake kind of fully embraces not only his powers, but that he is uh, a young gay man and what that means. The bit of a triangle with Maria in there too, it, it's such a typical teen thing. And the way that Alex portrays all of this in the story, it just it just drips of, of, of realism, frankly, even though we're sitting kind of in the middle of a superhero origin story. Jake has a lot going on as he's got to sort out his feelings for Kenny. He's got to confront his mom about what she's been hiding from him and why she's so intent that he stays away from the water and in the middle of the desert. As I said, Alex really treats all this with his usual excellence. He, uh, a long time ago, became one of my inspirations with his book, Rainbow Boys. And he really brings all of his YA acumen into this story. Uh, there's teen angst, and boy, do they feel a lot as they're kind of coming into their own. There's great side characters here, too. Besides the, the three teenagers, the parents here really capturing the difficulties of knowing how to raise your kids. These parents are not perfect. Each one of them kind of has their excellent points, but also some pretty deep flaws. But all of them, whether it's Kenny's dad or Maria's parents or Jake's mom, they all want what's best for their kids and to keep them happy and safe. Jewel's artwork is breathtaking. She uses two very distinctive color palettes, the colors of the desert and the colors of the water. How she's brought these together and done these drawings, they're not, these are not superhero comic book drawings that are in this book, but something that, honestly, I don't even have the vocabulary to describe, but she captures all the emotion of these teens so well, as well as the landscape and, and where they're living which just builds more into how they're feeling. It's really remarkable. The more I looked at the artwork, the more I was truly taken by the storytelling that sits in just the artwork and its, its beauty. Now, this comic is set in the DC universe. There's a couple of cameos, including Superman. And Jake's character follows fairly closely to things that we've seen, at least for me, as we saw Aqualad in the TV series Young Justice that was on the Cartoon Network a few years ago. So I, I truly just adored this graphic novel. It was great to read an Alex Sanchez story again for the first time in a while and to get caught up in this beautiful artwork from Jill Moreau. So I highly recommend You Brought Me the Ocean. If you're interested in learning more about You Brought Me the Ocean or anything else that we've talked about on this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 244 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. 
please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of Gay Romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So I really don't have words on what it was like to be able to sit down and talk with Alex Sanchez and Jill Moreau. Alex, for me, as I mentioned in the review, is a big inspiration for my YA writing with that book, Rainbow Boys, which is almost now 20 years old. And so to get to talk with him about the process behind writing a story in his first graphic novel was really fascinating. And to understand how he and Jewel collaborated on this really special book was so wonderful for me. I hope all of you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Alex and Jewel, thank you so much for coming to the show. It's wonderful to have you here to talk about You Brought Me the Ocean. Well, thank hey. you. It's great to be here with you. So right before we got into this interview segment, I reviewed the book on the show. I told everybody that I thought it was just such a wonderful and beautiful story. Alex, I'd like to hear from you as the writer. Tell us what this book's about in your words. Well, I'd describe it as a superhero origin story unlike any you've ever imagined, in that it's also a coming out story and a wet and steamy romance between uh, a couple of teenage boys, one who's uh, a normie and one who's discovering his superpowers. He's been left in the position of not knowing he's got the superpowers. It's one of those unfortunate scenarios where a part of him is hidden for other reasons, it's it's like a double coming out, if you will. Exactly, exactly. That was that was part of the fun of of writing the story was thinking about how you know as superheroes, the whole superhero story acts as a metaphor for you know us as uh, queer people when we uh, can you know accept ourselves, love ourselves, come to terms to really be true to who we are then we discover our power. Mm -hmm. So integrating that story with, with the with a superhero story, it was like this, this wonderful, wonderful metaphor. Yeah, it, 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 and you're right. It's unlike any origin story we've ever seen, and especially with an established character as well. Yep, this is the character who will become Aqualad. It was interesting working on the project that that DC, this is part of a, a, a rollout of graphic novels reaching both, you know, traditional comic audiences and also audiences who, who don't, you know, normally use, read, read comic books too. So reaching out to broader audiences and looking at stories that, yes, they have a superhero aspect, but they're really focusing on the emotional story. You know, fiction is all about, you know, emotional truth. And, 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 and when we read fiction, really delving into the, the character's emotions. So our wonderful editor, Sarah Miller, was constantly emphasizing, you know, let's look at the emotional dynamics. And then, uh, of, of course, we had a wonderful artist, uh, Jewel Moreau, who who was able to capture so much of that emotion on the page and in the drawing. So, yeah. And, and Jewel, coming over to you, I mean, this artwork is gorgeous. I mean, how would you describe the style that you've brought to this and then what inspired that style? Well, thank you both. I wouldn't call it gorgeous myself, but <laughs> thank you so much. No, because, you know, I'm kind of the worst seller when it comes to my own work. 
it's it's hard for me to agree when I see all the mistakes and lacks in it, especially months later. And first of all, before answering your question, I need to apologize for whoever is going to hear my terrible French accent because I'm not a native English speaker and I haven't talked, uh, you know, aloud English for a while. To go back to, to your question, I'm not sure I have many adjectives for it because my line in this book is more synthesized if you have to compare it to previous work. And in fact, I, I really like what, what Alex just said about emotional truth, because I try to focus on the emotions and feelings that he wrote uh, in the script. So, um, yeah, I would say that all I did was to make justice to it, to, to Alex's writing. And the color palette is, is quite reduced. There is one warm atmosphere, you would say, that is divided in three tones and there is one cold atmosphere with three other tones and that's it because the the purpose of it was to create a contrast between Jake's world in New Mexico that is very dry and desertic and the entrance of water and of love through the the more watery you know colors and tones that is related to to Kenny in the story and basically my decisions on this style were taken because of the schedule we had to respect <laughs> because of the deadlines it was my first experience dealing with such a, a rhythm so the purpose was really to remain the most efficient as possible for deadlines and for emotions as uh, Alex had just uh, described mm -hmm. the emotional impact does come through both through the art and through the words uh, and the motion of the water was it, it all for me as the reader was like just wow this is a perfect blending uh, of the two elements of the creativity H how did you both come to work on this project actually that's a funny story because i received an, e an email from that is our publisher uh, at dc comics but her email ended in the spam box <laughs> so, <laughs> so i'm actually grateful that i'm the kind of person very neurotic that goes every day to check on the spams you know <laughs> because otherwise i would have missed it i would have missed the occasion and so, yeah, just go check your spams because maybe Spielberg wrote to you, you know, and there might be an email just changing your life there. So, yeah, this is what happened on my side. Well, I also received an email originally when the project, they were just starting to put it together. So I got this email out of the blue. Uh, from DC and they, you know, they explained to me about these, these graphic novels. And I was sort of like, okay, but, but why are you reaching out to me? And then they, they asked, you know, if I was interested. And so I got on the, got on the phone with the, the senior editor. And what she explained was that, you know, in this series of graphic novels, they wanted one that spe specifically would deal with, with queer sexuality and uh, that the character that they'd chosen would be Aqualad. And that they'd asked around for who would be good to write uh, about LGBT teens, gay teens uh, specifically. And my name came up. 
And so they asked me to do a pitch for it. And I never worked this way. Usually as an author, it's like I write a manuscript and then I you know, present that to my agent and then she presents it to, to publishers. So I was sort of like, okay, so what's a pitch? So I you know, went on the internet and looked at some sample pitches and, and uh, sent them this one paragraph pitch of you know, what would be this, the story. And from the very start, they again were saying, you know, we we want to look at the emotional story, so don't do too much research into the character and and uh, you know what's been done. Don't focus so much on their superpowers, but really who they are as an individual. Nevertheless, I, I I'm like Aqualad. I just wasn't familiar with that character, so I did some some research on the internet. And that's where I saw that, you know, like a lot of these characters, they go through different iterations, different versions over the decades. And in uh, a recent version, they had the characters set in New Mexico to to get them as far away from possible as, as water for that contrast. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. Let me use that element. But then they had him living in Silver City and having been in that area, traveled through that area several times. I knew there's this, you know, a town with this uh, funky history, kooky history of, of having adopted the name Truth or Consequences. And as I started thinking about the story and about being true to who you are, I'm like, well, that would be a wonderful, another thematic element to, to introduce in there. So in that way, I pulled some elements from previous versions of, of Aqualad, and, but DC, from the very start, they were very encouraging of saying, you know, really make this story your own. You know, you have freedom to, to shape and develop this character uh, as, as you like. And uh, so there were some other elements in there in terms of, you know, the love triangle with Kenny and Maria. And, but again, giving that different twists and giving the mother a different twist. So, so it was, you know, putting this all together and then they liked the pitch. And so then after that, they asked for a, a longer sort of synopsis. So I came up with a, a 12 page synopsis and that really was the sort of uh, the basis for uh, what became the, the script for the novel. Mm-hmm. And it does have touchstones because I'm I'm not wildly familiar with Aqualad, but I watched Young Justice and right. was exposed to Aqualad there. And there are elements of your story that follow pieces of his origin from that as well, which I kind of liked in my. And you've got other DC characters that make random cameos <laughs> as well, which is also fun from just a, you know kind of placing it in context sort of thing. Well, that was one of the stipulations from DC. They were like, and now you need to set this in the DC universe, whatever, you know, however you can establish that. And so one of the things I loved about this process was just that it was so collaboratively, usually writing a novel, it's such a lonely, solitary process of just me and and uh, and the page. But in this case, working with Jewel and working with with Sarah Miller, I just loved loved that creativity, that collaboration, our creativity, you know, feeding off of each other, stimulating each other. And Jewel, did you get to feed into the story, or how does this collaboration work between script and art as it's all formed? I always have an opinion, you know. Um, <laughs> I always have something to say and to fight about. So, no, it went it went well. My opinion was always taken in account, and, and yeah, we we it was 
possible to discuss issues or questions and no I was I was very happy with the with the collaboration I must say yes it was my first time you know to work on a story with a how do you say a scenarist in French we would say that but I'm not sure in English so to share this kind of work like this I had never done that before and I'm very stubborn <laughs> so I'm a very stubborn person but no, it went very well, yes. And it was very exciting for, for, for me, you know, as, as the writer that, you know, when I write a story, usually I have a vague idea of what the characters look like. So to, to actually see what, what Jewel came up with, it was so exciting because it was like, well, you know, that's, that's, at first it was this reaction, well, that's not how I saw them, but how did I see them? And then it's like, but yeah, you know, I, I, I love this. I, I love what, what, what they're coming up with. So it was, it was a very exciting process, very new process for me. And if I'm not mistaken, Alex, this is your first time to work in the kind of graphic novel medium. It is. And it was, it was so wonderful watching Jules' process, how they came up with this, that, that it's taken me back to my childhood love of drawing and drawing drawing on my own now because it was just marvelous and it, again you know they were the way they were able to just capture the the, the dynamism and humanity and and um, emotion it was just amazing mm -hmm. when alex speaks like that it sounds like everything was on my shoulders when actually what he wrote in the first place was very good and very prolific, very efficient. So, of course, I did this good work because he worked so well on his side. <laughs> <laughs> Given this was your first graphic novel, how did that pivot how you wrote? Because obviously you're taking away describing settings and potentially describing things that you would put into a novel, and yet they have to get on the page. Did you leave elements for Jewel that would almost be like stage direction of a sort? Or is that where some of the collaboration came in as well, how to represent those things? Well, both, both, of, uh, both of those, this was, you know, this was a whole new process for me because even though I had, you know, that story synopsis, then when it came to breaking it down into a script, it was, it was a real learning process uh, for me. You know, I had some concerns about that with DC. I told them I've never done this, and they're like, "Okay, we're we're gonna uh, give you training for this," and uh, they were very very good at that. And I also got you know some examples of of comic strips off the off the internet, and so that gave me sort of the the format. And then working with our editor and sort of breaking it down into panels, individual panels per page. And then it was, I can't remember exactly what the direction was, but it was basically, you know, describe the setting, the, the, the characters, you know, what they're thinking, feeling, dialogue, and then let the, let the artist do their magic. And so it was, you know, uh, conveying, you know, my idea of what's taking place in terms of the narrative, in terms of the story, in terms of the characters, but then really letting letting the artist uh, in, interpret. It sounds like a lot of work, but it also sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> well, it, it was, you know, a way to watch their creative process as they were going through this. And then when the first, you know, full, full illustrations, color illustrations, you know, start, started coming in, it was, 
it was so much fun. It was so exciting. And then it's like how how Jewel was able to to just you know crank these out on on really this schedule. What, what was it, Jewel? I think like five pages a week. I don't want to think about it. I just felt. <laughs> First, it was four pages colored, colored guys. Right. Four pages each week, and then five. But yeah, yeah. No, no. It was, it was something. And yeah. so it's amazing if you can imagine six panels, an average of six panels per page, five pages, four or five pages per week. But Sarah and I were both like, we can't wait for Friday. We can't wait for Friday <laughs> to, to see them come out. <laughs> I couldn't wait for Friday, but for another reason, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How long did the book take from inception of the idea to turning it in as as the final product? Well, from the from the first pitch until we finally had a contract, that was about six months because of the the, the DC process. And then when we when I I started working on it, it was in the spring. And so I think we wrapped up in December, so about a year and a half, a year and a half on, on my end. And I guess for Jewel, maybe about a year. Basically a year, a bit less, yes, yes. One of the things that I love so much in this story is one of the tropes that you've kind of flipped in it of, in this case, Kenny, who's the star athlete, is also bullied. Whereas usually we see the jocks doing the bullying. Was that kind of in the concept from the beginning? Because I thought it was a really nice twist to show that jocks are not immune to this. Well, you know, I, I, I think what happens, you know, in terms of my, my own creativity is these, these elements come out that I hadn't uh, exactly seen that way. So it's always wonderful when a reader says, oh, did you notice this? And I'm like, <laughs> actually, no, I didn't notice that. But that's that's wonderful to, to hear you point out. And I think what's what's happened is that there has been such a cultural shift, you know, uh, certainly in 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 my lifetime in terms of, you know, even though, yes, bullying and homophobia still exist that the increased acceptance of, of uh, queer people, LGBTQ people, uh, it's just been a, been a dramatic cultural shift so that it did really, that, that, you know, flip that you're mentioning, it didn't even cross my mind. It just accepted, yeah, of course there, there are, you know, LGBT jocks. And, uh, you know, of course we know that <laughs> we see them, we see them in the news now. So that, you know, that, that's cultural shift, uh, you know, influence us as, as, as artists and, and, and writers. It's just, yeah, sure. That's natural. It's not, it's not a stretch anymore. Mm -hmm. What do you both hope people take away from this story and this book? Empowerment. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that that's, that's a great word. Empowerment, you know, for them to find their own power for, for them to be true to who they are. I think part of you know what's exciting, what's been in, exciting in, in in my work has you know been hearing from from so many young people how my books have inspired them, and then hearing from them inspires me to to do more. So it becomes this this circle of of inspiration and, and empowerment. And 
Well, maybe the fact that in the story, it seems that the, the road for Jake could be already settled, you know, for the rest of his life if he wanted to going to college or I don't know what, etc. He has his best friend. He has already his um, habits. And on the contrary, his, his life is about to switch uh, totally. And that's also a way to say that you can become whatever you want. Uh, there is no world that is uh, already, yeah, that there is no destiny that is already written for you in, in that kind of sense. You did exactly what a good story is supposed to do, and you left me wanting more. So any chance that we get more of Jake and Kenny coming from you two? But also Maria should have her own story as a martial arts superstar, I believe. That story should be written. That would be a very cool... You could have a whole universe of stories with these characters. I think it's going to depend on DC. I would, I, I've loved working with DC, and I would love to, to work more with them, definitely. And then I would absolutely love to, to collaborate with, with Jewel again. So there are a lot of pieces in play, but I would love for it to happen. Excellent. Fingers crossed. Because like I said... The book ends where it needs to end, and I know that, but, oh, I wanted more. <laughs> so there's a couple of anniversaries that we should talk about since we have you both here. And, Jewel, for you, this year is the 10th anniversary of Blue is the Warmest Color, which was a very acclaimed book and film. For those of our listeners who may not know about that, please tell us what that's about. Well, it's a lesbian coming out story. And at the end, she dies. <laughs> no, sorry. I told you I was the worst seller of my work. And no, but I, I like to do this joke to say, you know, at the end, she dies. Because, of course, that's something we know from the beginning, from the first page. So I like to do that. But no, I would say that I believe that the best publicity for this book is one email that I received one day. And because I'm very fortunate uh, with the fact that readers keep writing to me since 10 years uh, about this book, and that really keeps me up, I must say. And so one day there is a boy who wrote to me, and I look, I'm a guy, I'm straight, I play football, you know, the, the kind of details just to tell me that his reality was far from the reality from the characters from the book. And so he's, he's, he's telling to me, I'm all this, but look, I cried so much reading this book. <laughs> so I would say that if the book may cry this straight guy playing football, maybe you should give it a try. I just want to say that. <laughs> I think that's a great selling point for the book uh, and the film that it can bring that yeah. emotion. I, I I need to to meet this guy. I think he's my best ad for the group. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel that the that the work holds up after ten years? I would say that spreading queer stories is still very necessary because eight crimes are still happening everywhere, not to say imprisonment and death penalty for this. So, for example, here in Italy, many queer refugees try to make their way from Africa and Middle East. So um, I would say that we need to keep 
creating and publishing, filming um, queer narratives, because this is our own weapon against uh, hate, I would say, hate. I, t- I absolutely agree. Yeah. It's so important, even now. And Alex, next year is the 20th anniversary of Rainbow Boys. As I looked at that, I'm like, 20 years? Really? Has it been that long? It's it's hard for me to believe. Tell us about Rainbow Boys and the trilogy that came from it. So uh, Rainbow Boys, yeah, it came out in, in 2001. And in fact, it came out right the same month as the 9-11 attacks. And I thought, well, that's so much for that book. But it 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 has it has survived and and the way it came about it was at a time where you know as as you know where LGBT characters didn't usually hardly ever appeared in in young adult fiction and when they did they either you know ended up committing suicide or dying tragically and so there was this this message of you know us as a people not 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 deserving to exist and that we could never be happy and what the publisher uh, saw as so groundbreaking about about rainbow boys is that you know the the sort of literary uh, device the narrative device was a, a love triangle between three high school senior boys but the fact that that they were connecting with each other not just romantically, but as, as friends, as, as, you know, people of, you know, community. And, and it was sort of a reflection of what was happening at the time where more and more LGBT young people were coming out and were connecting with each other. And the first gay-straight alliances were forming in, in schools. And so I, I put in those elements and at the same time, you know, it was at the time of HIV, of course. And so to show, you know, young people connecting and not just uh, surviving, but thriving and being able to be friends and, 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 and to love and to show, you know, that, that coming of age, coming out experience of, of young people that at the time, many uh, publishers wouldn't go near the book. They were like, "No, no, we we couldn't we couldn't possibly publish this." Even getting the the models for the front cover was was a challenge. The modeling agencies, the one agency, was like, "Well, we couldn't allow our young people to be on the cover of a book like that." And so, at the time, it's hard to look back on it now and see, you know, that that yes, in many ways, it was uh, groundbreaking. And yet again, you know, as, as we discussed before, it became sort of this, this fuel for inspiration where it inspired more and more young people. And it also helped to open, open a lot of doors for other books that, that, that then came out subsequently, you know, Julianne Peters' books and David Levithan's and Brent Hartinger's and, and a lot of those other early books that, that really blew open the door. So even though you know there's still nowhere near as many books being published with lgbtq protagonists and themes there are there are more and more and it's great to see you know dc is among you know those publishers that you know want to give that accurate portrayal of the the diversity of our world and the fact that being queer is as normal as as any any other orientation and so again you know symbolic of the 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 cultural shift that's that's occurred mm-hmm. so it's exciting for me to you know have been there early on and to continue being part of this process 
Yeah. And inspirational wise, I mean, this book was an inspiration to me to start writing YA too. So you've inspired not only kids, but I think you've inspired writers as well to tell the stories. Oh, thank you. Part of what's exciting uh, with this book, you know, as, as a graphic novel is, you know, graphic novels are booming more and more because mm -hmm. I think they create this, this bridge between the visual and, and, and prose. And so now that hopefully this book will open the door for more and more LGBTQ stories, queer stories, queer, queer artists, queer writers, so that there will be more and more graphic novels with these themes. Mm -hmm. I hope so. I hope so. I'll ask you the same question I asked Jewel. How do you think Rainbow Boys holds up after 20 years? Well, it was funny. I, I was giving a presentation in October of last year, speaking at a LGBTQ youth con convention. And and one of the authors brought up, you know, well, well but they, they're like listening to cassettes and it, they're like, what are the, what's that? <laughs> And my response was, okay, okay, we'll just read it as historical fiction, you know, <laughs> that that on the one hand, it does, you know, portray a certain period in, in time, but, you know, what when I'm writing, I'm always looking at, you know, well, what are the universal themes, the enduring themes, and so love and friendship and family and connection, they're all part of the story. And so if young people today, you know, the book was written before they were born, well, they, they see it as historical fiction, but the stories are, are still true. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> that the early 2000s now are historical, but it's true. <laughs> Since we are in Pride Month, we're asking all of our guests to share with us what pride means to them. Jewel, we'll start off with you. Yeah, a great deal. <laughs> it means a great deal. I would say that it means to stand for yourself and for your differences, to not self-abandon in some way. And it's difficult to embrace your own beauty when people in society actually expect you to be something else. So it's important to stand for the other queers and weirdos also, you know, equally. And so I would say that it, it means to feel proud in a, in, in a sense that says, uh, I'm not going to feel ashamed as you'd want me to feel, and I won't take your patriarchal bullshit any longer. So it's an act of resistance for me, really. And Alex, how about for you? Well, I, you know, I grew up at a time where, where, you know, homosexuality wasn't, it wasn't even mentioned, you know, occasionally made, maybe it was whispered about, but sex in general wasn't, wasn't, wasn't talked about openly. And so I grew up very, you know, confused and, and lonely and, and ashamed, the self-hatred, all, all of that. And, you know, when, when I came out in, in my, my late teens, it was, you know, that, you know, as Jill said, letting go of the shame and saying, no, I don't have to buy into that. That may be someone else's perception, but that's not how I view myself. And so for me, pride is, is you know, both, you know, finding that love for myself and then for others, others, others like me. And, and to be able to... You know, that again, going back to that sense of empowerment and really, you know, fully expressing who, who I am and 
Yeah, it is. It is. You know, as Joel said, an act of resistance, defiance. When, when there are are people, you know, trying trying to put put us down, and I think it's a message, you know, not only for queer people but for non queer people. It's like all of us, regardless of gender uh, identity or or sexual orientation, people are always trying to put us in boxes and tell us who we should or shouldn't be. And th- I think that's why. You know, coming out stories, they're so powerful as universal stories, you know, speaking to people about being true to who they are, regardless of of sexual orientation or, or gender identity. So for me, pride goes beyond, you know, gender identity or sexual orientation. It's really about fully embracing uh, ourselves and others. Thank you so much for sharing those sentiments. It's really powerful. As we start to wrap up, are there projects from either of you coming later this year that you could share some details on? In my case, I must I must confess that no, I'm working on very slow projects and processes, so it's gonna take some time. But, but there is something coming later. Excellent. When I'll be 80 years old, maybe it will be out. Well, I find that very reassuring to hear because I'm constantly like, how long can this take? It just takes me so long to create anything. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in my case, in my case, it's a, it's a story taking place in the Italian Renaissance. So there is a lot of historical researches to do. And it's fascinating. So I never see the end of it because I start today looking for something and at the end of the day, I discovered many details and fascinating things, but not the, the only thing I was looking for, you know. So <laughs> I just rule myself in this process that is very nourishing anyway, on a, a very personal level. But for the work, it isn't. So it's going to take some time. Yes. And so for me, I've I just finishing up editing a, a middle grade novel. That'll come out, I believe, in spring 2021. So not this year, but sometime early uh, next year. And it's called The Greatest Superpower. So there's a comic book element in there. And then uh, now I'm working on a memoir of my immigrant experience, being an immigrant to the to the United States. And as I said, inspired by Jewel, I'm doing some illustrations for it. I originally thought of it, this could be a graphic memoir. And then as I started drawing, I realized, I don't know how Jewel did this because it just takes so <laughs> long. It, you know, for me, just to do one panel can take three weeks. And so it's sort of like, nah, I better look at this more realistically. But looking at, you know, what are things that I can convey on the page through uh, a drawing that, you know, convey so much more effectively than, than through words. So play, playing with those two forms. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. That's so cool. I can't wait to see it, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to Thank seeing you. that you as well. Thank you. You were the inspiration. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But also just to hear about your, your story as an immigrant. That's, I just can't wait. And how can people keep up with you both online to know when all these things are going to start to come out? Alex, what are your web locations? The one that, that I... The one that I do most is is Facebook, author Alex Sanchez. Also my website, alexsanchez.com. Fantastic. And Jewel? 
I have a website to juliemarot.com, but I'm not sure it's very useful, this one. I'm more active on Instagram. That is also with my full name, even if I can disappear for weeks sometimes. But yeah, I guess I'm more active there. Okay. We will link to those in our show notes along with the books and things that we talked about here so people can easily find them all. Thank you both so much for coming and talking about You Brought Me the Ocean. I hope this book finds a very wide audience because it's just really wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. Sincerely. Thank you so much, Jeff. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Alex and Jewel for sitting down and telling us all about You Brought Me the Ocean, as well as sharing how they're feeling now that the anniversaries of their work are here for both Jewel's work and for Alex's. It was really great to hear from them. Okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Now, coming up next in episode 245, author Daryl Banner is going to join us and tell us about Lover's Flood and the second season of Boys and Toys. I really enjoyed talking to Daryl. Got to have just a few minutes with him at GRL last year, and it was just really good to have a conversation about not just his new works, but also his author origin story as well. Jeff and I believe in the power of story, and if you're listening to this show, that's a pretty safe bet that you do as well. Reading a romance novel can be a way to feed and nurture your soul, and becoming a stronger you is the perfect way to crush systemic racism, homophobia, and misogyny. Reading a romance novel is the perfect way to fuck the patriarchy. So, until next time, everyone, stay strong, stay safe, and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.